This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Good morning, New Life. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Kevin. I'm the lead pastor here at New Life, and I have been looking forward to being with you guys all week long. If it's your first time, a special welcome to you. We're just excited that you're here, and we hope that you would make yourself at home, get comfortable. We're all on this journey together, and this is a great time for you to be jumping in and exploring the realities of God and what He might want to say to you and how He might want to engage with you in your life. And I'll, I'll tell you something just to start out that you might not believe yet, and that's okay, but we believe this with everything in us. We believe there is a God, and He's personal and powerful and loving, and He actually wants to walk in a relationship with you because He loves you, and He has a plan for your life. And so everything we do, everything we talk about is is helping us really engage with this God who's so loving that He has just done everything necessary so that we could connect with Him. And, uh, and I'm just really, I'm excited. I'm excited for you. I'm excited that you're taking this journey with us today. Hey, when you walked in, you should have received a program. Inside of it are two things that will help you on this journey and keep us all on the same page. The first is this card that says start here. I'd love for everybody to go ahead and grab that right now. Just put your name on it. And if you're a guest with us today, if you'd put your email address on it, that'd be fantastic. This is our connection card. It helps us stay connected to you. It helps you connect with us and uh, the things we're doing in the city and around the world. And ultimately, Our hope is that as you come and engage with this community, you'll take a step at some point in wanting to connect with God in a deeper way. And when that day comes, we want to be the church that partners with you as you take these steps in your faith and connecting with God. And this is just a tool to help us help you do that. So go ahead and get that ready. The other thing you're going to want are your teaching notes. And I tell you what, today, it's like we're taking a drink out of a fire hydrant. There is so much we're digging into today that you're going to want to grab those notes, even if you're not regularly a note taker. You're going to want to grab those notes, fill in those blanks, write down some thoughts so you can take this and you can think about it throughout the week. Because my hope is that this would not just be something that we do for an hour and five or an hour and 10 minutes, but that this would, this would be the launching point for a dialogue, a conversation that we're having with God and with our spouse or our housemates all week long. And these notes will just help you do that. So go ahead and pull those out. Well, we're in week three of a series that I am absolutely loving called Unwavering. And we're talking all about leadership, but not just any kind of leadership, a leadership that transforms us as we lead to become uh, the person we were created to be, and then empowers those who we lead to experience and engage in their full potential in whatever capacity they're in, whether it's a child, a family member, could be the PTA or some civic organization. It could be at work. Maybe you have people that you lead at work, and we're talking about how to lead in a way that changes and transforms us in the process and then empowers other people that we lead. And if you've missed any part of the series or maybe your number comes up on the screen, you have to grab one of your kids and you have to step out, you can listen to any of these messages online if you go to newlifepetaluma.org or you can download our podcast app at New Life Christian Fellowship Petaluma. You can grab these anytime. So in case you're on vacation this summer, you have to miss a week, you could just grab that and listen. It's not the same as being here, but it's a good option if you can't make it and be with us uh, in person. So go ahead and, and do that this week. I think you'd really enjoy it. Let me try to catch us up to speed on where we've been. Just a quick snapshot. We talked in week one about how this series really is for all of us because we define leadership this way. Leadership is influence. And every single one of us influences people. Some of us influence small groups, some of us larger groups. But if leadership is influence, then, then I'm looking right now at hundreds of leaders 
and I look out at you, and you might not think you're a leader, but I see someone who's influencing 10, 20, 50, 1, 2, 3, 100 people. And I'm so excited because I believe that you were created and designed not just to be a good influencer, but to be a great influencer and to be a great leader. And here's what we said, great leaders like you, great leaders, we know the people that we lead. We have a picture of them in our mind when we're leading at home or in an organization. We don't just stop with knowing. We love the people we lead. We have their best interest in mind at heart all the time. And then based on knowing the people we lead and loving the people we lead, last week, Pastor Ron reminded us that great leaders, they strive in every circumstance to get to the last 10% of truth in every situation. We don't stop with the majority of the truth. We don't stop with what's happening. We always ask one question, why is that happening? So for example, if things are going rough, the kids are fighting with each other, or the company is not hitting its, its numbers, we don't stop with what the kids are arguing, the company isn't getting its numbers. We always ask why. Why are the kids fighting right now? Why is the company not achieving what we want it to do? And that helps us get to that last 10% of truth. And that last 10% leads us to freedom and leads our organization or our family to the freedom that they really, really want. And when things are going great, when we are, when we're going like gangbusters at work, when things are great in the marriage, we don't want to stop at what is happening. We always want to ask the question, why? Why are things going so well right now? So we can replicate it and we can duplicate it. That's what great leaders do. And then we, once we get to that last 10%, we answer that why question. Then we start shaping a vision to lead us in the next 5, 10, 20 years. And today what I want to do is I want to ask this question. How, how do we empower people to follow our leadership? Once we've gotten to that last 10%, once you've zoomed in on who it is that you actually lead and what makes them tick and and, uh, how to value them well, once you've gotten to that last 10%, how do we empower people to actually follow our leadership? Because we've all been around certain people, and wherever they go, others tend to follow them. You've been around those parents, and they, they ask their kids to do things, and their kids, they do them, right? And they don't, like, fight with them, and they don't argue with them, and they don't stomp off. And you, you think to yourself, how do they do that? Their kids seem to want to do what their mom and dad are asking them to do. We've all been around companies or organizations that even if the boss is gone— The company is doing and the workers are doing the things that she set up for them to do. What is it about that leader that makes people want to follow her? What is it about those parents that make people want to follow them? I think if we're not careful, we would assume that certain people just have this magical it factor that makes people want to follow them. But what if that's not true? What if certain people just don't have a magic factor to them? What if they've they've realized something, they've discovered something about leadership that you and I have just yet to discover. And if we could discover it, boy, then people would actually want to follow us. And that's what I want for us. I want us to be the kind of people that are influencing others in such a way that it draws them to want to follow us because as they follow, they're going to experience great things in their life. And what we've been doing is we've been looking at the life of a leader in the ancient world, and we find his story in the pages of the Bible. But I would say that he's arguably one of the best leaders in all of ancient recorded history. His name is Nehemiah, and he lived in the time when the Persian king Artaxerxes ruled most of the known world. And he was like on the secret service of this king. But one day he found out that his home country, and specifically the capital city, Jerusalem, was in ruins. 
The walls had been destroyed. Uh, The gates had been knocked down. The people were left vulnerable and danger was lurking right around the corner. And on top of that, their civic pride was in the dumps and they didn't know how to recover. It was a sorry situation back in Jerusalem. And Nehemiah was the kind of leader that he knew the people. He could picture the people in Jerusalem and he loved them. Boy, did he love them. And that caused him to to cast a vision for what could happen in Jerusalem. He said, I want to go and I want to rebuild the wall, not just for their physical safety, but for their emotional well-being, to to lift up their civic pride. So Nehemiah goes back to Jerusalem, and he's got all the paperwork, all the credentials. The king has allowed him to go, has given him letters saying that you're now the new governor, you're in charge of the people of Jerusalem. One problem, he had no street cred with anybody in Jerusalem. He's this outside boss. He's this hostile takeover. He's this company coming in from the outside. He was, he was uh, the right-hand man of the man, right? Like the king of Persia. He was the man. It's like, we got to, no, we can't do that. You like that? My wife did. She's laughing. So how does Nehemiah go from being an outsider to leading an entire nation to do a project that no one could do for 150 years. Nehemiah is about to do something in 52 days that no leader had led the people to do in 150 years. He's about to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. How? How does he go from an outsider to being an influencer that people want to follow? That's what we're going to explore today, and there's a lot there. So I want you to grab your notes and get ready. We're going to pick up the story in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 17. Nehemiah says, I said to them, do you see the trouble we're in? Do you see the trouble we're in? I want you to underline that because we're going to come back and talk about that. Do you see the trouble we're in? Jerusalem lies in ruins. Its gates have been burned with fire. Come on, let's rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that we will no longer be in disgrace. He says, and then I went on to tell them about the gracious hand of God on me and what the king had said to me. And they replied, let us start rebuilding. And so we began a good work. If you missed the backstory, last week Pastor Ron shared with us that Nehemiah had gone out on a night mission to scout the wall. He went out by himself on his donkey, and as he surveyed this four and a half mile long wall, he realized things were worse than he initially thought. So he surveys the wall by night. He comes back to the people. And if you and I were him, most of us would have gathered the people together and said, guys, we have to fix the wall. Here's where we have to go. Look what we have to do. But Nehemiah doesn't start with where we need to go. He starts with why we can't stay here any longer. Did you catch that? In verse 17, he says, people, do you see the trouble we're in? Do you see the trouble we're in? The wall lies in ruins. The gates have been burned down. We're vulnerable to attack from the outside. Our civic pride is in the dumps. We're literally leaving ourselves open to attack. We could die. Do you see why we can't stay here anymore? This will lead us to death. Because Nehemiah knew that part of being a great leader meant that you knew the people and you loved the people. And then you knew the people so well that you can see why they can't stay where they are any longer. Nehemiah doesn't start off by telling people where he wants them to go He's a great leader, just like you. And great leaders know that we need to show people why we can't stay where we are before we tell them where we need to go. 
This is one of my biggest mistakes in leadership, especially early on, is I'm always talking about where we need to go, where we need to go, where we need to go. And I'm realizing as I study Nehemiah, we need to talk about why we can't stay here any longer. Because unless we understand why we can't stay here, we won't have any context for why we have to go there. I learned, I learned this just recently. There's uh, one of my greatest joys on Friday mornings is I get to volunteer in my daughter's first grade class. And I just, I love it. I did it in kindergarten on Fridays. I'm with the same group of students now finishing up first grade. And this last Friday, uh, they were having a spelling test. And and here's my progression. I started off grading papers back in the corner, but those of you who know me, uh, you know that I probably didn't stay grading papers back in the corner for too long. I I like being up front too much. So uh, I was grading papers, and then another volunteer came in and wanted to grade papers. So I said to the teacher, well, you know, no strings attached, but if you want, I could like pull students out and I could help them with their reading because I want to be with people. She said, okay. And then one day, about two months ago, she said, would you like to lead the class in our spelling test and our math test? And it was like I had graduated. I was so excited. I started beaming. I puffed up. I would love, you know what? If it would serve you, if it would serve you, I would, I would do that. So now every Friday I lead, I lead spelling tests and I lead our math quiz. And last week, last week, I was leading math tests or, or spelling tests, and this little guy, seven years old, the cutest little kid, six and seven years old, little guy, every time I'd say a word, he'd, he'd put his hand, head down on his desk, and then he'd, he'd write his word, put his head down, write his word. And I thought, well, something must be wrong. So I said the next word, and all the other kids are writing, and then, you know, being kids, flicking each other. Head down, and he seems to be looking at things, and then writing. Now, I'm no genius. But by word four, I was noticing a pattern. And so I say the word, and then I sneak over behind him. No one really notices. They're all writing, and I just kind of bend over. Inside his desk, he's got the spelling list. And this seven-year-old boy is cheating on a spelling test. And I can tell you, the minute I saw that, my heart broke. And I began to wonder what would cause a seven-year-old boy to sacrifice so much his integrity, his honesty, the good name that he built for himself for the sake of something so small. I I wanted to take him and say, buddy, you don't understand. There's these things called computers and they have spell check. It doesn't matter if you can spell that word. Anyway... And so I mentioned, I whispered to the teacher, and she watched a few words, and she called him out. Now, don't, they'll take care of it. But here's what I realized. A good leader would say to this boy, you can't cheat on your spelling test anymore. You have to get in line. But a great leader would look at him and would love him enough to say, do you know why you can't stay here? You are, you're sacrificing your integrity. You're sacrificing your honesty. You're sacrificing your good name for something so small. And if you keep this path of deception up, do you know where it will take you? You will become a teenager and then an adult who, whenever things get tough, lies and tells half-truths to get what you want and you'll constantly be looking over your shoulder and people won't be able to trust you and it will hurt your marriage and it will hurt your kids and it will hurt you. This is why you can't stay here anymore. Now, what's more compelling? Stop cheating on your tests or you can't stay here anymore. Some of us who work in the business world, 
We've got employees, and they might be your top seller. They're great out there. The problem is they're toxic in your organization. And you have two options. You can say to them, you cannot be toxic in our organization anymore. And they'll look at you and they'll say, why on earth would I care about these people in here? I'm selling out there. Or you could say to them, do you recognize what you're giving up by the way you're treating your coworkers? Do you recognize that these are the people who will support you and partner with you and help you implement the vision you have to sell out there? Do you realize why you can't stay here? Because without these people here, without this relationship here, without the culture that we've set here, you can't do what you want to do out there. Great leaders love people well enough to tell them why we can't stay here before we tell them why we have to go there. I could literally spend all day talking about this. In our faith, in our life, there are certain patterns that we have, certain things that are hurting us, but we don't recognize how bad they're hurting us, how much they're costing us. And so when I talk about why we need to go there in our lives, we have no context for it because we don't understand why we can't stay here anymore. And God's saying, do you know why you can't stay here? Because here is killing you, but I have freedom for you over there. Okay, now I'm preaching. I'm just adding stuff in. I gotta, whoo, I gotta calm down. We can't, we can't stay here. God is the ultimate leader because he would say to you, you can't stay here. Here is killing you. Here is hurting you. That's why I have a better way for you. It's out there. Great leaders start with why we can't stay here before we go to why we have to go there. And that's exactly what Nehemiah does. He says the wall being torn down is killing us. It's hurting us, but it doesn't have to be this way forever. We can rebuild the wall. And that's what great leaders do. That's the second thing that we do is we, we paint a picture of the future that is irresistible, that's irresistible, that calls people to want to follow. That little boy, I wish I could take him and get down on his level and look in his eyes and say to him, buddy, buddy, it doesn't have to be like this. You're in first grade. This is a safe place to fail. This is a safe place to try. Five out of ten on a spelling test, it ain't so bad. And I'd show him my old papers. And he'd see, you can be anything, even when you're horrible. I want to look at this boy and say, you can be a young man of integrity and honesty, and you can build a good name for yourself, and you will get further in life with a good name than you ever will with a good vocabulary. That's where I want you to go. See, great leaders, we don't stop with why we can't stay here. We paint a picture of there that is irresistible. And then great leaders give evidence to the fact that a better future is possible. One of the biggest uh, breakthroughs in my life after becoming a follower of Jesus was when I broke the addiction of smoking. I smoked half a pack a day for about three years because I used to say um, winners never quit and quitters never win. So why am I going to quit? Yeah, that's funny. Um, Except I was killing myself. That's the only downside. So I smoked a half a pack a day, Marlboro Reds, and then menthols in the morning because it was better than brushing your teeth. I used to say it makes me smell minty fresh. Um, Yeah. But I had one friend come up to me, and he was a leader in my life at that point because he was influencing me. And remember, leadership is influence. And this guy said to me, he said, "Why why why do you smoke? Or when do you smoke the most? said, well, when I'm tired, stressed out, angry, hurt, sad, when I got dumped, I was smoking like a chimney. He said, Kevin, do you recognize what God has already done in your life? I had this faith awakening experience about two years before that where God just grabbed hold of me and he changed my life. And that's what I want for every single one of us. 
He changed my life. And he said, look, God has broken this addiction in your life. God has freed you from this thing. God has changed your life in this way. God has given you friends and community. He's increased your faith. He's given you a passion. Look at all the things he's done in your life. Look at the evidence of what he's done. Because of what he's done there, he can take you over here. You can find freedom. And he said to me, do you understand that you are killing yourself? Not only is it killing your faith, it's killing your body when you turn to cigarettes instead of turning to God. And it will not give you the comfort you need. So let's go there. And when my friend said that, something broke open. And that's the day I began the process of quitting smoking. And I'm so thankful that a leader loved me enough to tell me why we can't stay here, to paint a picture of the future that was irresistible, and then to give me evidence that that was actually possible in my life. And that's exactly what Nehemiah does. And here's the thing. The people respond. They say, we want to rebuild the wall. Let's do it. There's one problem. So vision casting is part of what great leaders do, but the other part is implementation. Because at this point, there's a four and a half mile wall in ruins, a whole city that wants to rebuild it, and not very many contractors in the team. And they have no idea how to rebuild the wall. So they say, yeah, Nehemiah, we're game. We'll do it. But how do we get from here to there? And that's what I want to talk about for the rest of our time together. Great leaders know how to implement the vision that we cast. We got to implement it. We got to tell people, this is how we get from here to there. I want to do a flyby of Nehemiah chapter three and land on two different spots. The, verse, the first is verse one, and then we'll skip down to verse 28. Verse 1 says this, Eliashib, the high priest, and his fellow priests went to work rebuilding the sheep gate. By the way, here's a little trick for you. When you get to an Old Testament name that seems really hard and confusing, say it fast with confidence. Everyone else will assume they're wrong if they don't say it like you. <laughs> well, party f- trick for you. Eliashib, that's how you say it. If you don't think so, you're wrong. <laughs> the high priest and his fellow priests went to work They rebuilt the sheep gate, and then they did this. They dedicated it. I want you to underline, they dedicated it, because there's some priests. That's what we like to do. We like to dedicate stuff. They dedicated it. They set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they also dedicated as far as the Tower of Hananel. And then I want to skip down to verse 28. Now, I want to see if you catch a a trend here in verse 28. I'm not going to ask you to, to write anything down or highlight, but if you say a trend, you start to underline it. Verse 28 says, Above the horse gate, the priests made repairs, each in front of his own house. Next to them, Zadok, the son of Immer, made repairs opposite his house. Next to him, Shemaiah, son of Shechaniah, the guard at the east, made repairs. Next to him, Hananiah, the son of Shiliam, and Hanun, see, quick and confident, <laughs> the sixth son of Zalaf, made repairs on another section. Next to them, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, made repairs opposite his living quarters. And the whole chapter goes on like this. Here's what Nehemiah is doing. He's breaking down a huge vision into bite-sized pieces that people can get their mind around. That's what great leaders do. It's not enough to say why we can't stay here. It's not even enough to say why we have to go there. Great leaders do the work of figuring out how to get from here to there. And he's doing two things. One, he's creating a workable plan. And two, he's giving the people ownership. See, when people have ownership, they'll buy into the vision. Here's what I've recognized is the difference between between, um, employees and owners. Employees show up to work, and they see a piece of trash, and they think to themselves, someone ought to pick up that trash. 
an owner arrives to work, sees a piece of trash, and says to themselves, I'm going to pick up that trash. I do two things every morning when I show up to new life. I go out in the dirt parking lot. There's a circle out there that I've drawn, and I, I pray. I pray for you. I pray for our cities. I pray for our church. I pray for God to move in your lives. I pray. And then the second thing I do is I walk through the parking lot, and I pick up trash. Because I'm the point leader for this ministry. I'm not an employee. I, I have ownership here. Great leaders. They give ownership to the people who they're leading. Fragile leaders hold ownership for themselves. Insecure leaders hold ownership. Confident, great leaders leverage their leadership for the sake of others. And then great leaders leverage the talents and passions of everyone I put verse 1 in there because it just, it speaks to me as a pastor. It says, the priests, they built and they dedicated. They built and they dedicated. My guess is, knowing pastors, they did a lot more dedicating than building. If you know what I'm talking about. Pastors love to talk. That's what we like to do. I remember being in a men's group a couple years ago, and it's when we had the skylights that had holes in them on our roof, and we filled the skylights over. So our men's group, we were in charge of doing this, and it's like a bunch of men, like like manly men, work belt men, big bags of tools men. And they said, bring your work tools. Here were my work tools at that time. When we got engaged five years before, I got one of those little tool kit, you know, the plastic ones that's about this wide that you carry with you. Um, so they said, bring your tools. So I brought my tools, right? I showed up with my little work thing and, um, and they kind of smiled. And then they said, okay, let's get your hammers out. And, and we pulled our hammers on. They had like, they had like adult hammers and mine was like a three-quarter size hammer. Not only that, it had never hit a nail, so it was completely shiny and clean. Some of you who were there know that. And these guys, they just laughed at me. Like, they just, they just laughed and laughed. But you know what I did really well that day? Boy, I talked to a lot of people that day. I, we talked about God. We talked about life. We talked about faith. I did what, what pastors are really good at. I, I, I talked about God. I didn't do so great at hammering, but I did great at talking. And, and you, know what, you know what he does with the priests? This, this leader says, I know what priests like to do. We like to dedicate stuff to God. Priests like to make sure that God is being honored in the context of whatever project we're doing. So he said to the priest, okay, you build your little section here. I'll come back and fix it later. You build your section, and then you just dedicate the heck out of that bad boy. You, you put water on it. You put oil on it. You dedicate that thing. You pray. And this is what the priests did. They walked around, and they just dedicated stuff all day long to the Lord. What was he doing? He was empowering them to do the thing that they were gifted at doing, dedicating stuff to the Lord. And the second thing that he did, he goes on in that next section to do something just brilliant. And maybe you caught it. I asked you if you caught this. Did you notice where people were building? Each was building opposite their house. Did you catch that? Across from their house, next to their house. You want to ensure that the wall is built well? Have the people who need to be protected by the wall build that section of the wall. And you'll be sure that the wall is built well. Nehemiah leveraged the passions and the talents of the people for the sake of the vision so that they would have ownership and buy it. And boy, if we want people to follow us, whether it's at home in the vision we have for our home or in our marriage or in the business world or on the PTA or on our sports team or in our classroom, if we want to lead in a way that people will follow, we need to cast a vision and then we need to know how to implement it, break it down, but then we need to know how to empower people to lead based on their gifts, their talents, 
their passions and their abilities. And when we do that, people are going to be drawn into leadership. Do you want to have buy-in at home? Do you want to be the kind of parents that other parents look at and they're either amazed or, or they get mad at you? You know, the kind of parents where your kids actually follow you? Do you want to be those kind of parents who have a strong team at home? Here's what this looks like, guys. We cast a vision for what our home could look like. And then we gather our family together and say, I want every single one of us to have ownership in this vision. I want every single one of us to have a part to play. Not because I don't want to do the chores, but because I believe that you are a valued part of this family. And I want to line you up based on your gifts and passions and abilities. Not based on your age, not based on your gender, based on your passions, talents, and abilities. This is how this looks in my family. Growing up, my dad loved to grill. He was grilling stuff like five or six nights a week. My dad is a pretty manly man. He, you know, hairy chest, the whole thing. Like he's a, he's a manly guy. And he loved to grill, be outside, smoke and fire. It'd be 95 degrees. He's out there grilling. I'm like, get me in the air conditioning. Um, I, on the other hand, believe it or not, don't really like to grill. Not really a grilling type. Uh, and I'm horrible at it, like really bad. The food is either totally burnt or it's totally raw, or usually this is what happens when I'm trying to cook steak. It's totally burnt on the outside. We call it Cajun style. Burnt on the outside and then completely raw on the inside. It has to go back in the oven when I'm done grilling. How emasculating is that? (laughs) But you know what? My wife loves to grill. She loves it. It's like the best thing for her. She was grilling this weekend. So here's what I do. It would be dumb for me to say, I'm a man. Man, have to grill. You're a woman. Go do woman things. You know, I don't know. Here's what I said. Honey, you like to grill. You're good at it. You grill. You know what I like to do? I really like to do dishes. So I'm going to do me some dishes at the end of the meal. I turn on some music. I get my hands dirty. I like to do dishes. It's relaxing to me. It's called, yeah, amen. Yeah, give it up. Give it up. All right, fellas, notice if your wife was clapping there. This isn't a marriage series, but, but you want to earn some points. Do some dishes. Do some dishes. Don't grill. You do some dishes. It would be ludicrous of me to do something because that's who does it in this house. Just like it's dumb to say the kids have to do these chores because they're the kids. No, no, no. What if we leveraged our family, the things they're good at and passionate about for the sake of our of their collective good? I have some friends who are actually here in the service, Chris and Angela. They've got three teenage girls. Three, count three teenage girls, okay? So just let that settle in for a minute. They've bought into this idea that you are part of this family. You're part of this house. So they have a a chore chart on a whiteboard that says, like, bless this house, or blessing chart. It's just a way that you don't get extra allowance for it. You don't get to stay out later for doing it. This is just part of you being part of this family. And everyone in the family grabs their chores. You pick a chore and you do it because you have ownership in the family. Here's the thing. Our kids, deep down, do not want to be consumers. And we enable them in some really unhealthy ways, when we assume that as parents, we're the ones that do all the work and they just need to consume because they're not old enough yet. Our kids want to be productive members of our family, which trains them to be productive members of society when they go out. So what if we said, I want to empower you to take on your part of these family responsibilities, not because I'm lazy, not because I don't like doing chores. That's part of why I do the dishes. No one wants to do dishes in my house. That's why I clean up the dog poop because it's about my level of leadership. (laughs) 
what if we just started empowering our family? And by the way, kids can smell a rat. So if you just want to get out of doing chores, this ain't going to work. But if you genuinely want to empower your family to lead, that could work really, really well. And they will follow when they have ownership and they know where we're going and why we're going there. At work, I want to talk to those of us who work in the business world, who have employees, who have coworkers that we influence in work. Does your company need an infusion of vision? Vision leaks. That's why companies always start out strong. They're no different than churches. Start out strong with a vision, and it can fade over time. Vision just naturally leaks out with the busyness of every day. If you're a leader, does your company need an infusion of why we can't stay here and why we need to go there? Do you need to fill up the vision bucket for your community? We've got a few minutes, so I'm—oh, we don't have a time. Uh, A quick minute. Um, I'm going to have you finish a sentence for me. At New Life, we are breaking down— barriers to keep people, that keep people from encountering God. And how are we doing it? Well, we'll do anything short of sinning to reach people with the incredible life-changing love of God. Do you know what that is? That's vision. Do you know why I say it all the time? Because as the point leader of our church, it's my job to infuse our community with vision on a regular basis so that we can answer questions like, why do we do the things we do? Why are the lights the way they are? I have people ask me sometimes, Kevin, why are, why are you funny? Like, why do you tell jokes? So first off, I say thank you uh, for saying I'm funny. Two, let me tell you why I tell jokes. Because I had someone say to me, you shouldn't tell jokes in church. I said, here's why I tell jokes. Because we have people who come to church for the first time every week. And if this is you today, you know this is true. And our guards are up. We don't know what to expect. Are they going to call on me? Are they going to sing weird songs? I don't know. Our guards are up. But when we laugh, our guards go down. And when our guards go down, we open the door to encounter God. That's why I tell jokes. Because choking is not sinful. And I'll do anything short of sinning to help people encounter the love of Jesus. That's why we have the scripture up on the screen and don't force everyone to open their Bible because if you're coming for the first time, you probably don't have a Bible or if you do, you don't know where it is and that's okay. I want you to see God's word. I don't want you to be the only one without a Bible. We want to break down barriers that would keep you from encountering God. This is why we do what we do. In your company, do people need some vision? Do they need to have some implementation? Here's how we get from where we are to where we need to go. Do they need to be empowered to get there? At home, I want to talk to everybody, but specifically to those of us who are business-minded, who lead in the business world. We spend so much time crafting our vision, focusing on our vision, thinking about our mission. We do off-site meetings. We wake up thinking about it. We go to bed thinking about it. For those of us who lead in the business world, I want to challenge you. We should spend as much time thinking about our family's vision as we do about our company's vision. Because at the end of our career, it does not matter if we've made a million dollars and built an empire. If we come home alone because we've ostracized our family and those we love the most, we have lost something that we cannot get back. So parents, maybe you need to take an off-site Call an overnighter. Get a babysitter. Get out of here. Husbands, do some dishes first. It'll go well for you. <laughs> and then talk. Talk about your vision for your family. And then sit down with the kids and say, let's, let's implement this vision together. For my family, it's things like we want to be a family that spends time together. We just do. So I told my kids, I won't work more than 40 or 45 hours a week. Not because there's not more to do, but because I'm going to limit my hours so I can be home. And I'll be home for dinner five nights a week so we can eat together as a family. I told our kids, that's what I'm going to do. Here's what I asked them to do as part of the family. I'm going to ask you to not be in more than two sports a year so that you're not gone every weekend all the time. That's, that's what I'm asking you to do to own our vision of being a family that spends time together. 
just, it's as simple as that. It's as simple as that. And that's the kind of leadership that, that kids want to follow, that they want to buy into. When we, when we let people in on our vision, when we empower them to do their unique part in it, boy, people will want to follow. Your family wants to follow. Your classmates will want to follow. PTA members will want to follow. Your business partner and employees will want to follow. And it opens the door for us to influence in some pretty incredible ways. And that's what I want for us. I want us to be the best influencers in the world because we, we follow God. Because this idea of a vision is not, is not coming from me. It doesn't actually even come from Nehemiah. It comes from God. Here's God's vision for you. And if you've missed everything else, I want you to hear this. God's vision for you is this. He has a vision that you would walk through this life every day in a relationship with him, where you would know him like a personal, loving, all-powerful, all-good Heavenly Father who wants to guide you in this life. And his vision for you is that one day when you breathe your last breath, you would open your eyes in eternity in heaven with him and spend eternity with God. That's his vision for you. But he said, this is where we are and this is where we can't stay. Jesus came to this earth and he said, there's this thing called sin. And sin is the things that we think, that we dwell on or say or do that are hurting us, that are hurting the people we love the most and are separating us from a perfect God. And Jesus said, you cannot stay here anymore because this is killing you. It's killing your relationships. It's causing regret. Ultimately, it's separating you from God in this life and in eternity. You can't stay here anymore. And then Jesus said, so here's how we're going to implement our vision. I'm going to give my life for you on a cross to pay the penalty for your sins so your slate can be wiped clean, so you can be forgiven by your heavenly Father, so you don't have to live with regret anymore. And I'm going to invite you to receive my forgiveness and walk with me in this life and walk with me into eternity. That's God's vision. See, he's the ultimate leader because he knows you and he loves you and he has a great plan for your life. And it starts when you commit your life to him. And if you're here today and you find yourself here and I can't stay here any longer, I'm going to give you a chance to commit your life to God right now, to pray a prayer of commitment where you would say, God, I want to walk with you. I want to follow you. I want to be forgiven by you. And allow God because he wants to answer that prayer, to fill you with his spirit, to forgive you, and to start a journey with him. Let's pray together. If you're ready to make that decision, you can repeat these words after me. Just whisper them where you're sitting, or you can even just say them in your mind, because God, he knows your thoughts, and he can actually hear you. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you love me, and I believe that you have a plan for my life. I believe that you died to forgive me of my sins so that I could have a relationship with God. And today I say yes to you. So would you forgive me of my sin? Would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? And would you show me what it looks like to walk with you every day from this day forward, even as I walk into eternity? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.